Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Silk Report. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, good night, uh, good morning, wherever you are. Uh, GTL has had a little siesta after the morning's uh, events uh, and what events they were. Uh, I'm going to say a quick hello to some of you. Hi, Forza Barca. Uh, don't milk it, says Alex. Uh, nice to have you all on board. Some slightly newer names here, at least newer names to me, some of you. Um, but uh, some familiar faces too. Thank you for joining, uh, and uh, we look forward to it. Catherine there, yup, Rafa, get 21. Well, why is she saying that? Because Rafa Nadal won his semifinal in four sets today. The other semifinal between uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas and uh, Daniel Medvedev will be coming up in the second half of the show. Hi, Gene. Nice to have you on board once more. Gary, good morning for you. Great to be here live. That's cool. And hey there, Silk, says Kaz. Wonderful. So Nadal is through to his 29th Grand Slam final, aiming for his 21st Grand Slam title. Hi, Boban. Nice to have you on board too. This will be history if he should do it, because no other man, at the least until now, has reached 21 Grand Slams. Um, ironically, the person he's playing will be Daniel Medvedev, uh, who, of course, prevented uh, last September, prevented uh, Novak Djokovic from reaching the same figure. So how did Rafa Nadal do it? Let's have a look. This is match point. Just going to play you a few seconds of this exchange. Uh, it's 40-15 on the Nadal serve. So let's have a quick look. And probably, appropriately, it was a Rafa forehand forcing an error on the backhand of Berrettini. And I say appropriately because this was kind of certainly the pattern of play for the first two sets. And we're going to go for a deep dive on that very shortly. However, before I do so, we'd like to address a couple of things uh, regarding uh, JG, myself, and our support for the Spaniard. Sure, I thought he would find it tough against Chapeau. I said it would be 50-50. The match was five sets. Chapeau basically blew it. Nadal emerged the victor in what was a super tight match. I think my prediction regarding how that match would pan out wasn't 100% correct, but wasn't far off. 
This match against Berrettini, I said that Berrettini, in my eyes, was the slight favourite, 60-40. I've already highlighted the reasons for those. Um, got it wrong. Nadal prevailed. Nadal was on fire for those first two sets, which ultimately set, the, set up the victory. And, um, yeah. But I don't think that really may means uh, it's got anything to do with my support for Nadal. I think really probably the best example of showing support would be to, you know, get up in the middle of the night, for example, and watch his matches. I think that's a, a pretty good sign that you are, are following uh, somebody. So if you're able to do that and you're able to demonstrate that and uh, you're keen to do that, I think that shows that you're a pretty big, big fan. Um and I think predicting whether they win or lose is completely separate from whether you're supporting them. You may support uh, Tranmere Rovers, but if you're playing Liverpool in the third round of the FA Cup and you predict that your team is going to beat Liverpool, or if you're playing a friendly against Barcelona and you're predicting your team, well, that doesn't necessarily mean... Just because you predict, for example, Barcelona is a better team than Tranmere Rovers or Liverpool is a better team than Tranmere Rovers doesn't suggest that you don't support your club anymore. No more than it would do if it was your son who was in a 100-meter race with Usain Bolt. You support your son 100%. But if somebody says, do you think your three-year-old son is going to beat Usain Bolt over 100 meters? And you said, yes, I do think that. I think we would suggest, hmm, maybe you're a little bit delusional but it doesn't mean you don't support your person. And I was very happy to see Rafa Nadal win today to make his 29th Grand Slam final. Before I move on, let's have a quick look in the chat to see if anything's got to be said on that matter. Uh, Gene Stewart, ha ha, hey, JG, very funny. Uh, Nadal is the goat, deal with it. Uh, JG saying, you just don't believe, John. Well, that's true. I had my doubts. But even the great man himself said he had doubts. In fact, regarding Nadal and his doubts, in his press press match uh, press conference afterwards, he even said he had doubts whether he'd even play tennis again, uh, which we will touch on probably again as the first half of this podcast uh, goes on. Okay, let's have a bit of a deep dive into the match and see how basically Nadal was able to... Um, <laughs> oh, look at that very funny uh, uh, tweet from a very amusing person there suggesting that maybe, given the fact there was a net cord in this, uh, in this rally here, maybe, uh, maybe um, Berrettini should apologise for that. You know, did the old hand in the air? Sorry about that. I'm kidding, of course. It was match point. Okay, let's move on. Um, so how did, it, how did it sort of pan out? Well, the first thing that happened, even before the match had started, people were speculating regarding the roof being closed, I do think the roof closed at Rod Laver, though, as I've suggested in this tweet. It's not quite as damaging for Nadal as it is at, say, Paris-Bercy, uh, Rotterdam, ATP Finals, etc. Simply the stadium being bigger at the slams means the effect on the topspin on the ball will not be quite as great. And the atmosphere, if you like, and I mean it in a in an air sense rather than uh, attendance sense, uh, will be a little bit more similar to the outside, the bigger the stadium is. The bigger the stadium is, the more similar the conditions will be to outside. And I so therefore I think a roof closed at Rod Laver is not quite as detrimental to Nadal as it would be at a smaller environment. Um, still there, as I suggest, but not quite to the same extent. Well, it certainly didn't seem to affect Nadal in the first two 
um, sets today. I will just go to a quick uh, image of the stats of the day, which will be around about here, I think. Here we go. Yes, boom. Um, there's the four set victories. We can see 6-3, Let's just see what's going on in the live chat. Anyone saying anything interesting? Uh, I need the podcast to be a regular and not only during Grand Slams. Thanks. Thank you very much for the compliment, Amin. We will certainly be doing these as often as we can. But I will say this, that a 14-day stretch during a Grand Slam, particularly one that takes place during the night, is uh, it's it's work. Let's say that. Um, the I hope that the podcast appears seamless at times, and I hope that it seems as though it works quite well. But even that takes a couple of hours to get together. But um, thank you very much, Amin, for the compliment. And we'll certainly be doing these as often as we can. Uh, cool. Uh, guys, feel free to fire in any questions you like. However, probably you're going to get more chance of being heard if you focus your question on Nadal Berrettini at this stage. We're going to be coming to Tsitsipas and Medvedev shortly. Um even a weekly roundup of tournaments, 250 and 500 sets will be fantastic if you're able. Love the content. Thank you, Ari. That may be more realistic, that's for sure. Uh, we'll have to discuss that as a, as a team, probably uh, in our debrief sometime next week. But I'm glad that you're all enjoying it and uh, having a good time. Um, Gene's saying, I'm an honest fan too, John. I will give my honest opinion about every match and eliminate bias out of it. Yeah, we try. We try. Um, at least that's the best we can do. Are you going to eliminate biasing completely? Of course not. But hopefully I'm presenting more objectives than subjectives. And when I do give you a subjective opinion, at least I suggest this is how I think it went. This is how I think it will go. But it's nothing to do with whether I support a player or not. This is a good question here for Matthew D'Souza. Can Berrettini bridge the gap when everyone just targets his backhand? I think it depends on the opponent. Nadal being a lefty makes that that left-hand forehand cross-court, which is pretty much his favorite shot, if you like, um, uh, along with possible, yeah, other, other sorts of shots, pretty much his favorite shot, certainly, certainly as, a, as a rallying thing. It just makes it, once he can get in that position, it makes it very difficult for Berrettini to get out. Other players, though, may find Berrettini's server struggle, which Nadal, for the best part of the game, with the exception of sort of during the third set, uh, and the beginning of the fourth, Nadal was doing pretty well on the Berrettini serve. Even on the first serve, he was neutralizing the first serve pretty well, especially in the first and second set. Um, so, yeah, and when we've seen the Djokovic-Berrettini matchup, the rallies, yes, are a little bit more towards the backhand, but it does seem as though Nadal seems to have this ability to pin Berrettini better than anyone else in that corner. And as I say, that may well be down to the fact he is a lefty. Um, how to do super chat, please, Pat Val. Maybe um, uh, JG, who's in the chat as well, he can let you know how you can do that. That would be great uh, if maybe you can just sort of uh, explain how that's done somehow, JG, the best you possibly can, or maybe even someone else in the chat can do the same. Uh, Morgan, they're suggesting that Mo uh, Matteo bottled it today. No excuses for such a simple level. I just... I'm not sure that he bottled it. I think Berrettini's nerve didn't uh, betray him. Uh, there's a good way of supporting the channel there through the PayPal. Uh, that's probably the more preferable one. If you do have a PayPal account, certainly do that. If you can, um, that would be excellent. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was a case of bottling it. I just think his backhand isn't quite good enough. And regarding the question, 
Uh, okay, I feel like Mateo begins a match against a superior opponent with great hope and confidence, but he quickly becomes res- uh, resolved that once again, it's not his day. Your thoughts? Gary. Um, yeah, I think probably confidence does drain, but then he certainly in that third set, you could see that he still believed, at least in his chances of winning. And we did see the backhand improve. And in fact, I do think that the longer the match went on, and the, just like you would with most shots in the game, the more you do it, the more familiar you get with doing it and the more familiar you get with your opponent, even if they're targeting it, targeting it, there is a good chance that you will gradually get better at that shot throughout the match. And basically, if if Berrettini could um, could practice with Rafa Nadal nonstop for the next three months, for example, and just playing these kind of matches, Berrettini's backhand would be significantly better. The trouble is, I don't think Nadal will be quite so willing to help him out. Unless, of course, Berrettini was due to play Djokovic perhaps uh, anytime soon. Uh, maybe that would be a good co- coaching combination when Nadal retires. Let me know what you think in the chat. Okay. Uh, somebody already looking ahead there with Nadal. Genuinely only advantage of crowd support regarding the final. Uh, we'll be coming to that, James, shortly or probably more at the end of the show. Um, but that's an interesting point regarding the crowd support. Uh, I will try and remember to address that when we get to it. Cause I think that is quite interesting, but, um, uh, you may have to remind me again when we get to that point. Um, Gene, they also got a good question regarding the, the Medvedev Rafa fund. Again, these are great questions and I really appreciate them. But if we can sort of maybe come to that at the end of the show, that would be great. And do remind me because I have the memory of a sieve. Okay. Uh, back to the match. So how did it pan out? Well, we had the mention of the roof closed, but Nadal broke at the beginning of both the first and the second sets, which pretty much set him up for the victory in those sets. But he was knocking on the door, even in some other service games of Berrettini, because he was able to get his, even Berrettini's first serve, he was able to get a block return on it, often deep, often neutralizing the rally. And once the rally was neutralized, you know, 50-50, if you like, actually the chances of Nadal winning that rally were great. And of course, on the second serve, he was also pretty aggressive, getting a bit closer to the baseline. He did mix that up a bit, but generally on the Berrettini second serve, he was a bit more aggressive and had great success with that in the second set. And in fact, there was an interesting stat regarding the second set uh, at one point when it was, I think it was focusing on uh, points five to nine uh, and also nine plus, and Nadal was just killing it in these sectors. Um, but even on the shorter points too, but particularly once the rally was, was, was set up and was emerging, he was, yeah, he was killing it, as I say. Um, so what are my, what are my notes here? Yeah, the first two sets, uh, reminded me a little bit of the Rafa Nadal Roger Federer part one, if you like, uh, rivalry, which I think had a, a small mini part between 2017 and 2019. But until, let's say, 2017, from 2007 to 2017 in particular, the Nadal-Federer matchup was a bit like this match at times where Nadal would just basically wear down the, the Federer backhand. I think Federer's backhand at, at the earlier part of his career was still better than Berrettini's. And I certainly think by the by the latter part of Nadal's, uh, sorry, Federer's career, his backhand was pretty good. And that's one of the reasons why Federer managed to turn around that rivalry, at least in terms of the momentum. Um, but today was, you know, the, the commentators that I was watching here in Hungary, in Hungarian, were laughing at times. They were laughing during the, sec- the first and second set. Um, they were laughing for a couple of reasons. There were certain points when it was just like, 
Cross court, cross court, cross court, cross court, Berrettini error. Cross court, cross court, cross court, Berrettini error, and so on and so forth. There were other times as well. Cross court, cross court. Rafa Nadal wouldn't go cross court, would go down the line and win the point. Uh, actually, I'd like to have a quick look at the winner's uh, stats today and also unforced errors as well. We saw a big uh, drop, if you like, or a big reduction for Nadal in the double double faults that they two. <laughs> which is a huge improvement on the 11 he had against Shapovalov. Uh, obviously, one set less today, but nevertheless, uh, we all I said it the other day, if he's going to be doing 11 double faults uh, in the semi-final or the final, then he's probably going to lose. Um, but that was significantly reduced today. But even the unforced errors, I'd love to know how many of these 35 unforced errors are on the backhand from Berrettini. I'm sure uh, a lot of them were, as we saw with the match point, for example. No surprises that Berrettini won in the aces count. Uh, probably Nadal will be slightly disappointed with this five. Perhaps that was down to the roof being closed and not getting quite as much speed on his serve. But nevertheless, it didn't. Uh, I think Nadal's serve today was probably the one area of his game, even in that two sets uh, flying start. Because actually, I think during those two sets, uh, I touched on it on the live chat during the watch along. I think during those two sets, Nadal was probably playing the best hardcourt tennis that he's played in at least two and a half years since the um, late summer of 2019. But even arguably, I even suggested perhaps that semi-final crushing of Tsitsipas sticks in my mind as being an excellent performance and probably one that was even better than today's against Berrettini. So Nadal was certainly rolling back the years uh, on that front. Berrettini managing to break Nadal's serve for the first time uh, since they've, well, this is only their second match, but nevertheless, uh, he hadn't even had a break point until uh, the beginning or the middle part of the fourth, third set. And we will come to that point as well. But, you know, Nadal was knocking on the door and was even knocking on the door at the beginning of that third set as well. Um Let's have a quick look at the winner's count there. Berrettini, interestingly, 27 to 21. Um, I, I still think that that changed a lot once we got to the third set because actually it was. I remember seeing lots of incredible shots from Berrettini. And that's really kind of what changed, um, I would say, because Nadal was just dominating it. He was either forcing errors, he was either waiting for errors, particularly on the backhand side, or just ripping it and pulling off a winner for two sets and maybe even a bit more than two sets. The beginning of the third set, I would still say Nadal was looking good. He was pushing Berrettini. He got 15-30 on Berrettini's serve, I think, in the first game, in, in the first and the third game uh, of the uh, third set as well. Berrettini was uh, pushed to juice as well. So this is a good moment. However, from the third game onwards of the uh, third set, that was it. Because then Berrettini had an incredible run on his serve. 23 consecutive points Berrettini won. So basically, it was game to love, game to love, game to love, game to love. I'm sure um, uh, Ben's finger at this point was getting sore from all the game to loves, uh, etc. Let's have a quick look at the live chat to see if anyone's reacted to something I've said. Um, Maybe Barrett Matteo could learn from watching Barty or old Steffi highlights. Slice, 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 slice. Be stubborn about it like they are, and he would get more conversions uh, to forehand opportunities. Yeah, actually, I think um, uh, Berrettini's slice actually worked quite well today. Um, I heard other people suggesting before the match, and I understand why, that if it becomes a slice-off, then Nadal's going to win that as well. 
But um, Berrettini slides quite well today. And uh, But actually, at times, he had to pull off worldies, unbelievable shots. I remember one slice he did that basically hit the line and was was a winner, um, uh, which was incredible. Um yeah, but he dealt with he dealt with the odd slice from Nadal quite well, and he, he actually executed his slices pretty well. Of course, there's always that concern with the slice that you will do hit the net with it. But actually, I don't recall too many errors on the slices today from him. Uh, anything else regarding today's match? Gene suggesting Berrettini's level went up too late, and he crumbled under pressure in the fourth set. I certainly think it went up too late. Um, did he crumble under pressure? I, I don't know. I don't see. I, I see Berrettini. Uh, winning matches and losing matches. He wins matches he should win, and he loses matches against top, top, top players. Um, I'm not sure if it's the pressure getting to him, but uh, but there we go. Uh, ben suggesting thanks to Matteo for promoting Game to Love so much. Yeah, that's good. Maybe you should get in touch with him. And uh, exactly, 23 unbroken points. That's cool. Okay, but as I say, the game, the match did change. So what did change? Well, Berrettini, unbelievable service. Uh, Berrettini starting to rip winners. Berrettini also, the backhand did improve. The backhand now, I wouldn't necessarily call it, thank you, uh, Sichimo uh, for backing me up on that. Yeah, 23 points in a row on serve. Um, yeah, uh, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, uh, I would actually suggest that although his backhand wasn't phenomenal in that, Berrettini 0 7 against top players in slams, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there you go. And, and, and Nadal's record is pretty good against top 10 players, as you probably expect. I think it was his 50th win against top 10 player today at Slams. Um, but no one can quite match, uh, the unbelievable record of Alexander Sverev in this category, who I think is zero and 10 against top 10 players. So at least he's got it, you know, at least he's consistent. So yeah, what changed? And, uh, yeah, even the backhand wasn't becoming such a problem. He was starting to even hit a couple of backhand winners. There was also a couple of unbelievable passing shots. So Berrettini's level went up, but even Nadal's level did go down a bit. It was during the third set, particularly probably as he was getting frustrated with the Berrettini serve, that even on the odd time he did get a chance, Nadal, he actually was starting to produce a couple of unforced errors. Not many, but there were a few, probably two or three too many in that third set. And Berrettini's form hitting the heights meant that Berrettini sealed that third set. And you were wondering, will this go to a fifth? And if it does, does Berrettini become favorite? Well, it wasn't necessary because at 4-3 up in the fourth set, Nadal gets his chance. And Nadal takes his chance. He forces 15-40 on the Berrettini serve. Um, uh, He manages to break. And Rafa's level was basically back at where it was in the first two sets in this game uh, in particular. And it was enough to basically break Berrettini, both probably in terms of the, the serve, but also probably enough now to win the match. I was a bit concerned whether Rafa would be able to close it out, but close it out he did to 15. So it ended up being, at least on paper, a rather comfortable match. Um, where does Berrettini go from here? Let me know what you think in the live chat. Um uh, obviously he needs to improve the backhand and that can happen. And if he does, then he could win a slam. Probably Wimbledon would be his best chance, but, um, but we'll see. He obviously, he probably also wants to avoid, uh, thanks for that, Ben, for the nice little stat there. Uh, he probably also wants to avoid Djokovic and Nadal, given the frequency with which he seems to play these players over the last sort of three years. And that's where he falls. He gets to quarterfinals, he gets to semifinals. 
he gets to finals. But when you play the big three, boom, can be tricky. Okay. Uh, any more generic points on the Nadal? Let's just have a quick look at some tweets. Medvedev's first top win, five win in a slam, by the way. Uh, oh, what's that? His first top five. Yeah, okay, well. Um, nice. Anyway, nevertheless, just have a look, see if there's any interesting tweets. Yeah, I touched on the fact that Rafa said in his press conference afterwards that he even thought he might say goodbye to tennis during that injury layoff he had. Um, already done the roof being closed. This is a nice uh, tweet here from the Rafa Nadal Academy. Que uh, grande uh, eres, which is like, uh, what a big guy you are. What an amazing uh, job, uh, etc. Rafa has overcome Berrettini. Uh, six three six two four six six four, and will play in his sixth final of an Australian Open. Bamos, and I don't need to translate that, and I don't even need to translate this image for you either. Uh, with Rafa punching the air to celebrate his victory, how will he get on in that final? Well, we'll be discussing that shortly. Uh, we've done the match point. That's nice. And we've done Nadal. Have I skipped anything? Have I missed anything? Uh, um, I'm a bigger supporter of Nadal than JG. Tick. Uh, roof closed. Tick. Backhand. Tick. Nadal in the final. Tick. Okay. And in that final, he's going to be playing Daniel Medvedev, who managed to overcome Stefanos Tsitsipas today in four sets, seven, six, six. Seven six four six six four six one. Um, the match also two hours thirty minutes, pretty short. Um, the Nadal match was also pretty short as well. It was well under four, uh, well under three hours as well. So I think both players won't have been taxed too much. Uh, we will be coming to that a little bit later on as well. Let me know what you think about this match. I thought it was incredible for various points. Um, a JG saying Sam regarding Rafa, he did the watch along for a moment. Yes, yes, well done for that thirty seconds. I think during that thirty seconds was when was basically the the beginning of the Berrettini comeback, if I recall. So well done for sensing that. I sense a fear in you, John Silks uh, says Sam. Yeah, I think you 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 uh, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Sam, because um both regarding the final, but I had similar fears today, and I certainly had fears in the quarterfinal against Chapeau too. Gene, uh, getting a bit of ahead of ourselves, but I love it. Uh, look at me, I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, it's a nice little prelude for something we're going to be touching on very, very, very soon. Let me give you a... Uh, JG saved Rafa by leaving the stream. Yeah, that's right, Ben. Yeah, exactly. Uh, JG said, oh, no, and left. Yeah, that was funny. I agree. Probably the second funniest thing today, if you like, but we all know what was the funniest, uh, and we will be coming to that. Listen, in a way, this match had everything. I guess the only thing that disappointed me is it didn't go five. Um, uh, and the main reason it didn't go five is Medvedev was just unbelievable in that final set and a half, if you like. Um, but let's probably start at the beginning. That's always a good place. I think for two and a half sets, almost three sets, we had one of those rare, rare rare occasions when both players were at their peak or at their absolute best or very close to it. I think Medvedev, as we probably saw, just had another gear, another half a gear to go. And he just ramped it up a bit in that fourth set. But um, it was incredible for three sets. It was 
unbelievable shot after unbelievable shot after unbelievable shot. Some amazing defense from Medvedev, but also some amazing aggression from the Russian. Unbelievable winners, particularly on the forehand side from Tsitsipas. The the backhand as well, which can occasionally let him down, was looking as strong as ever. Probably as strong as it was in the the win over Rafa Nadal um, a year ago. It was just an astounding level. I was thinking to myself at the time, if one of these players, whichever one prevails, um, it's going to be tough for Nadal. Um, and as Ollie Payton suggests there, I really hope Rafa wins, but it'll take a Herculean, Herculean effort in that final. And we will be uh, going in for a little bit of a dive on that as well, for sure. Be impossible not to. Um, but yeah, the level for those three sets, I thought from both players was phenomenal. Uh, Pass. In the tiebreak, I think he may have some regrets because I think if he wins that tiebreak, this could well have been a very different match. Um, and it was tight, as you can see. It was uh, 7-5 in the tiebreak to Medvedev, but he was up a mini break. Um, so, yeah, I think he may have some regrets about that. Obviously, getting broken back did kind of change the momentum of the match, if you like. Medvedev was never behind, really, in, in, in terms of the scoreboard from that moment onwards, I, I guess. I mean, I know he was serving... Second, I think, in that third set, but at least it was, so to speak, on par. It was never, Medvedev was never chasing the game, so to speak, or chasing the match. Yeah, Gene suggesting the first set was crucial. Um, yeah, getting your questions regarding Pass and uh, Stefanos at this point. Feel free to fire in questions about other things that occurred today, and I'll try and address them. But it's if you if you really want your question answered, it's more likely to be answered if you're focusing on this match. Um so what happened then at the end of that uh, first set? Well, actually, I think was, when was it? It was during the second set that we had the the, the maybe the drama of the day. Uh, and we certainly had the image of the day here <laughs> with, <coughs> excuse me, with Medvedev here. Look at his face. Look at this face. I mean, it was so funny when he was getting stressed. And why was he getting stressed? Well, he was getting stressed because what he perceived or felt was that old cliche again, that old chestnut, that old story on court coaching from Stefanos Tsitsipas's father, who I think is called Apostoli. Let me know in the chat if I've got that wrong. Um, and he was upset and uh, the match was slipping, not slipping away, but it was looking a bit trickier for him. Obviously at the end of that second set, which he lost six, four, um, let me know exactly when it was in the match. I think it was at the end of the second set, wasn't it? Um, when this all kicked off. Yes, the second set. Thanks, Gene. Um, exactly, which is also key. You know, Medvedev is not happy. Uh, we will be addressing the the, the on-court coaching in general uh, uh, shortly. But let's just go through what happened. So Medvedev loses this second set. He's not happy. And he's saying, he's talking, uh, Apostolos Tsitsipas. Thank you, Tsitsimo. Um yeah. So he's now talking to the umpire. At times the umpire is looking at him. At times he's not during this this rant, if you like. And he's like, are you looking at me? Are you going to look at me? Um, as I said, on court coaching, on court coaching, he would repeat. Uh, let me know some of the other quotes. Look at me. Are you stupid? Look at me. Exactly, Alex. Thank you very much. By the way, let me know how you think I'm doing with my acting performance here. Oh, my God, you are so bad. Thanks, Gene, for that reminder. So funny. Get all the quotes in that you possibly can. So during this, yeah, look at me. Are you stupid? Are you not listening to this? There's on-court coaching that's going on here. He's talking in Greek all the time. And, and, the, and the umpire's trying to have nothing of it and would occasionally just turn away 
And then he would, the, the, my favorite bit was when the umpire wanted to, let's say, uh, just put a lid on it and move on with the match. Uh, this is kind of towards the end of this rant. There was another moment as well, which we're going to come to in a second. But during the rant here, uh, sort of in the latter part of it, after all of this stuff, on-court coaching, look at me. Look at the umpire's face here, by the way. He's grimacing and he's just thinking, oh, please stop. Let's get on with this. Uh, he doesn't see the funny side of it. I think most of us who are watching were. I did feel a bit sorry for him at the time because, I mean, he's not doing so much wrong. But anyway, you can understand Medvedev's frustration. Uh, he's just been broken. That's the key yeah, at the end of that second set. And uh, he wants to highlight what he sees as on-court coaching. Pay attention to it. And then uh, Medvedev says, or oh, then the umpire thinks, okay, I'm going to just kill this and try and hopefully move on with the match because the match has to continue. So what does the umpire do? He says, okay, okay, I got your point, but let's get on with this. And he just says, okay, time. And Daniel Medvedev goes, what time? What time? <laughs> oh, that cracked me up. That cracked me up when he said that. What time? And by the way, there's another one we're going to come to in a second that was even funnier. Uh, so, yeah, what time was it? Um, uh, and, well, it was time to lose that second set, uh, if you like. And, um, yeah. So he lost that second set and it was time to get composed. Took him probably, um, it probably took him a, a, um, a couple of uh, seconds uh, for him to do so, or maybe even a bit more um, because, um, because, uh, yeah, basically um, uh, it took him a while to get that. In fact, I think he did a double fault at the beginning of the third set and we were thinking, oh, oh here we go. But he managed to hold serve. And, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering if I'm just wondering how I can get that so you can hear it. I, 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 I'll play it one more time to you and hopefully you'll be able to hear it. Um, um, just with one, if I can figure out how to turn the sound on for you guys, or even I might just uh, say it audio wise. Um, so here we go. We'll go one more time and I'll just, I'll just repeat what he's saying here at the end of this time. What time he says. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Look at the umpire there. Ah, oh, dear. Okay, cool. So uh, that was that little moment. And uh, bottom right of the screen. Um, mm -hmm. uh, maybe the screen share. Oh, well, um, I don't see where it is, but it doesn't matter. We will move on now with the match. What happens next? Well, this is not quite over yet. There's another moment at the end of the set as well. So this has already happened. The game, the next game proceeds. Sitsipas manages just to hold despite being pushed to juice and hold he does to win that set. Now there's another little debate between the umpire and Medvedev. Next time, he says, next time there should be a code violation. And if you don't give him a code violation, you are a, um, how do you call it? Small cat. You're a small cat. <laughs> well, which is just such a funny insult. How the referee or how the umpire side keeps a straight face at this point, I have no idea. Because um, you're a small cat. You are a small cat. Yeah, Gene, I don't know how to get the sound on, unfortunately. Um, uh, but nevertheless, uh, hopefully my repeating of those words has done it for you. 
and you get the idea. Um, so yeah, uh, you are a small cat. Uh, I bet the referee was, or the, bet the umpire was fuming at that point with that insult. How dare you call me a small cat? Okay, let's have a quick look at some of the stats that are relevant to the day. Oh boy, winner after winner after winner from both sides of the net. 57 in total with, um, actually Sitsipas producing three more than his opponent. He also produced a few more unforced errors. Both players, no surprise with how aggressive they were playing. Medvedev winning the uh, aces count comfortably, uh, but also uh, producing more double faults. It was just an excellent, excellent match for, um, for three sets. And uh, I can't say much more than that. It was just phenomenal. Um, do you think Sitsipas will have any regrets, by the way? Let me know in the live chat, uh, particularly regarding that first set tiebreak, I think. Um, there was also another moment. So now uh, Medvedev manages to, to eke out that third set. And now we're into, at the beginning of the fourth set, another moment in the drama, which will be amazing, I'm sure, for the um, for the for the uh, Netflix thing. I've got here a little thing. I haven't seen such dubious behaviour from someone in the audience regarding Sitsipas's father since that dude tried cheating on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. This is a very British centric story, I will admit. But basically, there was a guy on Who Wants to, Wants to Be a Millionaire that was left listening to coughs in the audience from his, uh, I think it was his wife and another dude as well that were assisting him. Uh, basically, when they would they would cough on the right answer, so it would be like A, uh, <clears throat> and then it would be cough, and he go okay, and he would end up choosing A because he would hear somebody cough in the audience. Uh, I won't go down that road too much. Check it out if you know the story. Anyway, let's move on. So this is the moment now at the beginning, I think, of the fourth set, where we can also see a new protagonist in this very amusing story. We know Stefanos Tsitsipas. We know Daniel Medvedev. And I'm sure we even know the coaching team, and in particular, Stefanos Tsitsipas's father, who's almost at the center of all of this supposed on-court coaching. But now, dun-dun-dun, we have this lady here, who is now is a Greek speaker. I believe she may even be Greek. But she's an Australian Open official, and she's located intentionally in this spot so she can listen to what Mr. Sitsipas Senior is saying. And now she waves the walkie-talkie in the direction of the umpire to say, I want to talk to you on the walkie-talkie. And she lets the umpire know about this, these allegations that Medvedev made earlier in the match. And she was supporting those allegations and she reported basically this example of on port court coaching she gives the signal and now look at Sitsipas. he realizes what happened and now he's looking he's looking for the person who has set this up the person who was basically the the undercover reporter the undercover detective the person who was basically exposed the on court coaching and now he's there looking in the crowd it's almost as if he's he knows he's guilty, but he's looking to see who has who has exposed him. And she's hiding. <laughs> she's hiding here. <laughs> so funny. Uh, this was kind of really the end of the drama. There was possibly one other moment of amusement, if you like, which was at the end of the match. 
uh, when it comes to the handover. Medvedev sealing victory 6-1 in the, in the fourth set. Was I said, Medvedev went even up another gear and Sitsipas just couldn't live with him. And as we can see here between, there's no love lost at this exchange. Um, I'm even surprised, particularly Sitsipas, who lost the match, even still accepted the handshake. And Medvedev apologized to the umpire at this stage. I think it's quite easy to apologize when you've won, nevertheless. But he did say to the umpire, I'm sorry for what I did earlier. Interestingly, though, Medvedev said uh, in the previous round, or it was the round before that, I think, when he had a bit of an outburst with Cressy, he said he 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 should stop doing that. Well, two rounds later, four days later, he's doing it again. Anyway, let me know what you think about this match uh, in the live chat. I think if it went to a fifth, it would have had everything, really, in terms of quality, in terms of drama, in terms of excitement. Um, uh, Striker Bowles here suggesting Sitspass isn't guilty. Well, I think you'd probably need a good legal team to defend you on that one, but maybe. Uh, Gary here saying, as an old-time tennis fan, I feel that these moments of outbursts will become more famous with time, but will one day be remembered fondly as they are with McEnroe, Connors, Nastasi. Yeah, I actually think they're almost remembered fondly already, Gary. Um, I think... I think if you go beyond the line, we all know where the line is. And Shapovalov crossed that line by saying that you're all corrupt. But if you're calling the umpire a small cat as one of your biggest insults, I think we're doing okay here. And I think we're seeing the the fondness, if you like, of it. No big deal. These guys are very different characters, Sitsipas and Medvedev. Many people will have their favorites. In a way, it's a pity they aren't numbers one and two in the world and they weren't fighting for titles more often because I think this rivalry would, would even probably put Fedal in the shade um, in terms of that rivalry because we all know that they're friends. But in a way, we quite like it when our biggest rivals aren't friends and it makes it more interesting. Anyone who's a Formula One fan will remember the rivalry between Prost and Senna and Schumacher and Hill, if you like, and, uh, and many, many more I'm sure I'm missing where we had two protagonists of very different um, demeanors, very different styles, and also not exactly best of friends. Um, Sam there saying Medvedev is amazing. Absolutely. And especially in that fourth set, he just put on the afterburners. And I don't think Sitsipas did a lot wrong in this match. I do think if there was one thing, let me know where you think Sitsipas went wrong, if he did go wrong at some times today. I think if there's one thing that he probably did get wrong that that gave maybe Medvedev the chance to look amazing and Medvedev still has to take advantage of this but I think Sitsipas coming to the net didn't work I think he's obviously been listening to probably his father's coaching on this too much because I think the serve and volley which he tried a few times which Djokovic kind of made famous in that Paris Bercy final last year when Djokovic mixed it up by doing a bit of serving and volleying and ultimately winning that match we also saw how Cressy posed a bit of a problem for um, Medvedev. But um, Sitsipas wasn't as effective. His volleying wasn't as good. Uh, a couple of times I remember at least that he dumped not easy volleys, but maybe volleys he would hope to, to make. He dumped them into the net. Um, but even more significantly than that were some of his approaches to the net. Uh, some of his approaches to the net were not the best, I think. And he was maybe leaving a little bit too much of a gap for Medvedev to aim for, particularly on his forehand side. And I think he probably needed to be a good 50 to even 100 centimetres, slightly more to the right on a few of those occasions when Medvedev unbelievably passed him, by the way, often on the backhand side. 
But I do think uh, his approaches to the net, I think he approached on the wrong shots sometimes. I think he wasn't, you know, you've got to, if you're going to approach that net, you've really, you're backing up a very, very good shot. So let's say your, your opponent's dropped it short. You come into the net and you're ripping it almost and you're hitting it deep with venom and pace. That's when you need to be backing that up by a, an approach, if you like, a bit further approach to the net or staying at the net, if you like. But if you're not hitting that shot as sweetly as you want, then you're vulnerable. And you're also vulnerable if you're not quite positioned correctly at the net. So that is something that I think is going to happen a bit less in, in with against Nadal. So I do think that Nadal probably won't get past as much. I also think that perhaps Medvedev has improved this area of his game, the passing shot, I think. Um, I mean, he was already very, very close to the top in 2019 and 2020, but we know he sort of reached the summit, if not in world ranking, but certainly in terms of winning a slam by 2021. And by the way, he could well be reaching the summit of the rankings as well very, very soon if he wins on Sunday. I think a couple of other things need to happen, but um, I think if he wins on Sunday um, and then I think he might need to do something else, maybe in Rotterdam, perhaps at that tournament uh, in February, if he wants to reach the pinnacle. But he's very, very close now to Djokovic in the points, especially if he wins on Sunday. By the way, as this point, now we're talking about winning Australian Open and also uh, the world number one ranking. I think this kind of puts into some of the debates around the the big three, if you like. Not, 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 not putting certain debates to bed because you'll never be able to do that with any great authority. But when it comes to world number one or winning a Grand Slam, which is more important, well... I ask this question. If world number one is so important, uh, okay, so what's that? Now, a win on Sunday means he goes to number 13, number one, three weeks from now. Exactly, yeah, three weeks from now. That's what I think is going to occur, yeah. So um, if you think that um, uh, Sam waking up in the middle of the night to support, I felt that, yeah, that was my intro. Thanks for that, Sam. Um, you know, we've often spoke about, oh, weeks at number one doesn't matter that much. I think there's been some strange things in the rankings in the last couple of years. And as an example of how much or little being at number one matters, you ask a Djokovic fan, which would they prefer on Sunday? A Nadal win going on to 21 Grand Slams, but their man stays at world number one, which is supposed to be the big thing, right? World number one, big thing. Weeks at number one, big thing. So I guess you'll be supporting Nadal on Sunday, right? Of course not. We all know that among all of these debates, I'm not devaluing the Masters 1000s wins. Unbelievable. I'm not even devaluing the weeks at number one. But what I'm saying is we all know the one thing as fans and certainly uh, Djokovic himself, Nadal probably as well secretly, although he's not admitting it publicly. Um, yeah, exactly, Gene. You prefer a number one ranking from Medvedev. Of course you do. Of course you do. I know that. We know that. We all know that, that if you're a Djokovic fan, you don't care about number one. You care about the slam race. And that's all the other big three care about really as well. Uh, Nadal's winner speech, as Djokovic had said, there is no next gen. We are the next gen. Uh, Nadal said that today in his um, uh, in his speech. I didn't hear him say that, but wow. Okay, cool. Um, nice, 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 nice. So 
yeah, we know the slam race is the key. We know we'll still be debating about this in 20 or 30 years from now. We'll be talking about Federer's grace and the way he sort of took tennis to a new level. We'll be talking about Nadal's unbelievable grit and determination and none more so in coming back from injuries and the incredible shot power he has. And we'll also be talking about how unbelievably good in defence uh, Djokovic is and his return of serve. No doubt about that. Uh, he didn't say that, John. It's just Djokovic's speech he used. Yeah, not not quite sure um, what that's about. I remember Djokovic um, talking about the next gen last year and saying that they're still young enough to do it. But um, whatever. Uh, Gene there, no, no, they said that in the runner-up speech last year that Rafa fed and Nola. Yeah, I know that in Rome. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But anyway, uh, let's move on because I, I don't think it's so relevant right now. Okay. Now, the final is set. Have I missed any key tweets from today? Well, okay, this is from our our friend of the pod, I guess, Jose Morgado, regarding Medvedev on court's interview afterwards. He said, what is funny is that I'm going to play against someone who's going for their 21st Grand Slam, obviously referring to Djokovic at the US Open last September. I guess last time, Rafa was watching near the TV, supporting Medvedev. And I think Novak will be watching this one also, supporting Medvedev. Uh, like I say, it's all about the slam race. Weeks at number one, nobody cares. Okay, so now we have that US Open final. This was the last time they met in, or the only time they've met in a slam final. Um, of course, they've met a couple of times since. We will be looking at the head-to-head shortly. And this one went to five sets. And as the US Open official account called it, it was epic. I was very fortunate enough uh, to be at that Grand Slam final of 2019 in New York. And it was epic. It had echoes of the Federer-Nadal match of 2008 at Wimbledon. Even perhaps Shapovalov as well, at least in terms of the way the points went, although I would say the level was much higher for this US Open final, uh, where Nadal, by the way, was two sets and a break up in this particular final. He loses the break. He loses the momentum. Medvedev gets it back, two sets all. They then go into a fifth set. Nadal gets a double break up, and you're thinking, that must be it now. But Medvedev breaks back, and in fact, Medvedev even has a shot where he lets it go on the backhand side. It was a difficult volley, but he should have probably made it because it dropped in. And that was very close to the end of the match. Uh, one that Nadal ultimately prevailed in five sets to win his 19th Grand Slam. Anyone who remembers the acceptance speeches afterwards will also remember Medvedev being very amusing. Medvedev is there sat watching the crucial moments in uh, in Nadal's 19 Grand Slam victories, if you like. And he's watching it and he's thinking, oh, uh, 19 is insane. I wouldn't mind winning one. Well, two years later... He did manage to win one, of course. Um, oh, this is a, a French tweet here. Uh, my French is not that great, but I, I uh, basically use the translator here anyway. Uh, I thought this was quite an interesting translation. French speakers out there, uh, fire away some comments in French, uh, if you like. But I've got the translation here pretty much, which is regarding uh, Djokovic's, you know, big three record, if you like. We cannot say that Medvedev plays, I don't know why it says painters. That's an interesting translation. I guess what it means is we cannot say that Medvedev plays not great players when he goes to the Grand Slam final because this is his fourth Grand Slam final, second in Australia, having been in the US Open final twice as well. And he's played Djokovic twice. He's won one, lost one. And against Nadal, he's won, he's lost one. And now we're going to find out what's going to happen on Sunday. 
I think it's prediction time. Let me know what you think in the live chat of how it's going to go on Sunday. Let's have a quick look at some of the stats regarding the Australian Open so far. Um, Nadal serve games won 95%. Incredible. His returns have been better, I think. I think those two elements to his game are probably the two elements that are slightly better this year than they were last year or even the year before. Um, average rally length just four time on court, 17 hours and four minutes. Yeah. Um, I did touch on it earlier saying that both of those four set matches today were under three hours and the time on court thing, I think will be fairly negligible. As you can see, 17 hours for Rafa Nadal. And I think it's 17 and a half hours for Daniel Medvedev, which especially given the age gap and the fact that it only went four sets for Medvedev today and was actually less time than Nadal. I don't think we need to look too much into that. Uh, in terms of how we might seek an advantage. Medvedev, very impressive on his serve throughout the tournament, as you would expect. Um, I think the returns in there is slightly better for Medvedev. Again, maybe something you'd expect. He is one of the best returners in the game. Backhand winners, 65. Uh, obviously looking at the forehand there for Rafa Nadal, because that's obviously his main strength. So, yeah, let me know how you see this one going in the chat. Um, I'll just prevent a few more bits and bobs to you. Let's have a look at the head-to-head here. They've only played each other four times, which may surprise you given that how um, you know high up they are at the game. You'd expect a bit more from perhaps Rafa's injuries prevented one or two more meetings, especially in the last year or so. Um, Rafa having the edge. All four matches, interestingly, on hard court. You'd imagine if they'd played on clay a few times, that uh, head-to-head would be even more in favor of Nadal. But before you think this head-to-head would suggest, oh, that's a good sign for Nadal. Again, I think we need to look at head-to-heads more recent. Nadal wins the first three, but crucially, Medvedev has won the most recent one. Also, if we look at how they went, the first one in Canada, uh, just before the US Open in 2019, was a unbelievable performance from Nadal and an unbelievable victory. And at that stage, you were thinking Nadal is one or two levels above his opponent, even on hard court. But by the time they met three or four weeks later in New York, the level is much, much closer. So five sets in New York that day. But is Medvedev a better player today, two and a half years later, particularly on a hard court than he was in September of 2019? I think the answer is a clear Yes. Uh, get to the live chat, by the way. And just uh, before we do finish, fire in some questions regarding your thoughts on the final, and especially if you have any questions. Uh, I do have a few tweets that I want to respond to, but I'll be responding to those uh, personally off air, so I'll definitely be responding to that later. But in the meantime, you can see what we've got coming up on uh, GTL, including, by the way, this evening we have a preview show of the men's final. So that'll be on later on this evening. We obviously got the women's final tomorrow morning, followed by the doubles final as well. Uh, the men's doubles. And then, of course, on Sunday morning at 8.30 UK time, 9.30 uh, Central European time, will be Rafa Nadal against Daniil Medvedev. Let me know in the live chat what you think uh, as to how you think that final between the two men is going to pan out. I will be very brief on this. And basically say um, Medvedev is the favourite. Um, uh, yes, Stefan there saying, John, thanks to heaven, I'm back. Um, will Medvedev look to copy the Novak blueprint in facing Rafa? That's a good question, um, Matthew. I, I, I don't think he needs to. I think he can play his own game and, and win his, in his own way, if you like. Uh, I think he's good enough now. We looked at the head-to-head briefly there. The last three times they've met, it's been super close. 
in London in the ATP finals in 2019. He was a double breakup. So I don't think he needs to. And he's actually better than he was before. Snehal asking me, John, your prediction for the men's singles final, how many sets? I think that's an easier question for me to answer. Uh, and I will say Medvedev in four. Um, this doesn't mean that I won't be supporting Rafa with all my heart on Sunday, of course. But I have to look at the evidence, and the evidence to me suggests that Medvedev will win. And the reason for that is that Medvedev's trajectory has been like this over the last three years since that final in the U.S. Open. And he was very close in the U.S. Open in 2019 to turning that match around. He also should have won the ATP finals match um, when he was a double breakup in the fifth and somehow, oh, sorry, in the third set and somehow lost that match. And then he did win last year, albeit that Nadal was serving for the match in London in the ATP finals of 2020. But that was a match that I think Medvedev was the better play in, even during those first two sets. Um, Andre there, JG, he wants Rafa to win, but he's a realist. By the way, apologies for the sound as well. It's probably not quite as uh, good as, or as crisp as it was before. Thanks for your comments. Thank you for having you. Wonderful to be here again. Apologies for the slight technical uh, blip at the end, but it's been a great day. John predicting Rafa to lose in four again uh, in hope he wins again. Yeah, I, of course, I hope that um, Rafa prevails, but I'm also a realist. Medvedev is number two in the world. Rafa right now, I think, is six, although he's certain to rise to number five uh, in the live rankings, so that's that. Um, is the secret to this match Medvedev being able to target the Rafa backhand consistently? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, you're obviously going to go to the backhand slightly more uh, than the forehand, but it's not a case of targeting it. It's not quite the same as Berrettini or even Federer to some extent, where you sort of target a weakness or even Tsitsipas, I guess. Um, I think Medvedev will just play his game, and his game is good enough to win, and it's good enough to win in four. Does Rafa have it in him to win Roland Garros this year? Absolutely, Guru, he does. I think if, if now, if there were any doubts about whether he should be favourite, if he's healthy, he's bigger favourite than, than probably even the last couple of years going into that tournament. Uh, so that's my take on it. Uh, John, did you make Rafa favourite for any of <laughs> That's a great question. Yes, I did. Pretty much every round until the quarterfinals, I, I, I would have made Rafa favourite, of course, particularly as he was getting better and better throughout the tournament. For Rafa to win, he needs to play like he did in the first two sets today. But he needs to play like that over potentially five sets. And I just don't know if he can still do that. We're going to find out on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to it. I never expected Rafa to even get to the final, unlike JG. But JG did admit that that was his heart talking, not his head. So that's how I see it panning out. Please, please be sure to tune in to, uh, to GTL over the next couple of days. And none more so than on Sunday morning. Look forward to it. Have a good evening. Take care. And see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.